Everybody's starting to get back in that school groove and starting to get, maybe, I hope, that you're starting to, you know, get back into that rhythm, into that motion. I know I'm very, very glad that I don't have to do that anymore, and I was reminded of that this week, that, you know, school is not something I have to deal with right now, and I am increasingly thankful every day that that's not something I have to deal with. But before I left, uh, before I left Johnson, I was getting ready to take a biology final. You know, that's the last exam at the end of everything, and, and uh, this professor was just notorious for being difficult. You know, we had to have biology. We were all preachers and ministers and worship leaders. We didn't care about biology, and he knew we didn't, so he made it just as tough as he could possibly be on us. Not that it's not important, but it just in the large scheme of things, we were just doing everything we could to scoot by. And he told us right before the end of the semester, he said, okay, you're going to have your final exam, and I want to let you know that everything that we've studied from beginning to end in your textbooks, in your readings, anything I've talked about, could possibly show up on this test. He said, study everything. So we did. We studied everything. Hours and hours and hours of study groups and time spent just for this one exam because if we, if we failed this exam, it actually counted for more than 50% of the class. We could fail the entire class. And so we decided that we needed to study and hard. And we did. Well, we showed up to the, to the day of the test, and he handed out the test to us. And when he said, open up to booklet one, and I'll explain what you're supposed to do, we opened up the first page, and then we started flipping and looking at the rest of the pages, and the only thing on those pages were pictures of birds' feet, if that's what you call them, claws and whatever it is. That was the only thing, was just pictures of birds' feet, and he said, to all of us, there are over 75 pictures of birds' feet on here. You are supposed to identify which one it is just by looking at their feet. That's it. Identify which one it is by looking at their feet. And we were all just absolutely puzzled and, and disturbed by all this. And then one of my classmates had the nerve to stand up and say, Professor, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. You should not require this of us. This is over and above and far beyond too hard for any of us to do. And he said, Son, I want you to stand up and tell me what your name is. He said, I've got one better for you. He stood up on top of the desk, raised his pant legs up and said, You tell me who I am. That didn't happen. I wish somewhere that would, though. That guy would deserve an A. Just pass rate on that one. Anyway, well, just a little bit of humor to lighten our spirits because, you know, a, a dry, a dry heart, free of any laughter. You know, the Bible tells us that withers the bones, but a heart full of joy and full of laughter brings life to a whole man's body. And uh, so we need to laugh. We need to be we need to be ever increasingly joyful, even in the tough times in which, we, in which we live, which is, this is the sermon series we're going to partake in together, is trying to find hope in the midst of tough times and, and difficulties. But before we start this series together, I just uh, would ask that you pray with me as we ask God to bless this venture. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here and, and giving us this opportunity to gather in your name for your sake. We thank you for Jesus and just what he means to us and just what he's done, Lord, to, to bless our hearts, our, our lives, and it 
It all began with love. It began with your love for us and, and His love for us that, that you sent Him to the earth. And Lord, that in His love He came willingly for us that He might die, that, that we might live. And Lord, it's, it's love that sent your Holy Spirit to indwell the heart of every believer for whosoever shall believe, Lord. You promised that not only shall we have eternal life, but while we walk this earth, we shall have comfort and peace that only your Spirit can give, even in the midst of hard and difficult times. So Lord, my prayer is for this series and, and for this morning that through your Word, you would show us how we can be joyful in the midst of trials, how we can hope in the midst of pain, failure and, and loss and suffering. That, Lord, our lives wouldn't just be an exercise of what we have to do to get from the beginning of it to the end, but that it would be a, a testament to the fact that, that we have abundant life that started the day we knew you and carried on into our eternity. Lord, teach us how it is we can live abundantly. How it is in the midst of hurt and pain that we can hope again. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before you open your Bibles or even your bulletins, I, I just want you to listen to a passage. That's what I'd like you to do. I'd, I'd like, if you would, for just a moment, don't, you know, if you, can, if you want to flip there, you can, but, but I, I would actually just like to ask you to listen. Uh, we're actually going to explore this passage in depth next week. But as you listen to this passage, I want to ask you to listen to it as if you're hearing it for the first time. I want you to listen to it and listen not as much sometimes to the depth of the words, but as to the way that the person who wrote those words wrote it. From the frame of mind that, that they were in. We're going to try in, in this sermon, I believe that we will be successful with the Lord's help, to understand the man behind the writing, because he has a story and a, a great testimony to tell. Listen to these words, please, from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and reading to, to verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithyana, who have been called and chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through your faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that 
the proven greatness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love what he said, that Christ Jesus has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope. No, I, I look at this passage and even in the midst of suffering and pain and trials, as he said, of, of all kinds, did, did you hear the enthusiasm that he had? Did, did you hear the joy? Did you hear the hope with, with, with which the Apostle Peter wrote in this passage? Because I need to tell you, at one time, that was not the case for him. I want you to listen to another passage. And if you would keep this passage we have read in mind, as you listen to the events that occurred during the Last Supper. Just listen to this story unfold. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I never will disown you. And all the disciples, the others said the same thing. Now, Jesus went out as usual after the supper to the Mount of Olives with His disciples as they followed Him. And on reaching the place, He told them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Then He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and He prayed, Lord, if You are willing, take this cup from Me, but yet not My will, but Yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to Him and strengthened Him, and being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you too will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to, to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? 
And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his, his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and, and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Verse 62 says, And he went outside and wept bitterly. The same man who wrote the powerful, hopeful, and optimistic words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, as we have read this morning, is also the same one who denied Jesus not just one time, but three. And after that third time, he didn't lock eyes with Jesus. Jesus locked eyes with, with him. And he realized very quickly what he had done. Even in a moment of pure failure. Quick as it may have seemed to happen to him. He realized what he had done. That Jesus' words just hours earlier had come true, though he had himself denied them twice. What a realization that must have been for him. I, I couldn't even imagine just what it would have been like to lock eyes with Jesus in, in that very moment. But in thinking about Peter and thinking about myself, he did what I would have expected. He would have wept bitterly. What else can you do? In a moment of failure and disappointment in yourself, what else would you have done? There are no words to express just exactly what had taken place. The only thing he could do was cry. <laughs> he was a sad and broken man. We probably would have been broken as well. 
wouldn't we? Think back on the Gospels, the the tellings of the life of Jesus and and Peter's experience with Him. Look back on these three years that, that Peter knew Jesus. In these three years, Peter was vocal about his devotion to Jesus. For example, in John chapter 6, when Jesus set forth some pretty difficult teachings, Peter had something to say about those very teachings. John recalled it as this, On hearing it, these difficult teachings, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Well, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. How about the time in in Matthew chapter 16 when it was recorded like this? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, "But, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail Against it. And then, as we just read, think about the Last Supper when when he said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never, I never will. You see, the bitter tears that, that Peter shed after that third denial were not just for that moment of denial but it was for failure it was for failure in his heart and mind to be the friend disciple and student that he should have been to Jesus especially in that moment Jesus just needing a friend The Scriptures tell us that he was stricken by men, afflicted. He was despised, as Isaiah chapter 53 tells us, by all men. But Peter couldn't remember that. He just focused on on his denial. For all that Christ had done for him, for finding value and worth and in this old fisherman that everybody else had, had written off as being a student of the faith, he traded all of that, even knowing that it was coming, for a bit of personal safety and security, abandoning Jesus when he needed a friend the most. 
in his mind as it probably would have been the same for us. How could you ever get past something like that? How could you ever get past something like that? How could, how could he ever overcome his guilt and his grief? How about us? How about us? When we hurt others deeply, what do we do? When we have sinned seemingly too great for even God to forgive, where do we turn? When we feel like things could never, ever be the same, how do we even begin to think about going on and moving forward? When we have failed, how can we ever come back from that? Well, just as for Peter, we need to, in those moments, rest in the promises of God. Promises like, even in all this bad, God works for good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. We need to remember that every sin can be forgiven, for Jesus said, and so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. This is Peter's case. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the, the age to come. We need to remember that every sin can be forgiven. We need to remember that this trial and hardship that we are going through, it will not last forever, for the Scriptures tell us, for weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We need to remember that nothing happens to us outside of Jesus' care for us. For Jesus Himself said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. You know, on the good days, we can quote these quite easily. We can quote these words, recall them. We can share them with somebody very easily. Especially like the words of Psalm 46 where it says, Be still and know that I am God. But yet, what if everything in our life is seemingly everything but still? It's so easy to recall these, these things, to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Except it seems like on the hard days. We welcome these passages on Sunday mornings when everything seems to be going okay. But what about when the hard times actually kick in? Do these passages come to mind as quickly? Do we go to God asking Him to sustain us? When we have failed in life, failed somebody, ultimately failed God, do these passages even matter to us? In the moment, sometimes no. Let's just be honest. They should. But sometimes it seems like we don't want to hear it. 
We don't want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Even though it surely is there. In the moment, the reality is, is we just want to focus on the pain. Just like Peter. He should have known that the Scripture said that that would happen to Jesus, that he would be all alone in that. That even God would, would reject him in his time of need. That, that all sins against, against the Son can be forgiven. But he just couldn't seem to focus on those things through the tears that he shed. So I want to tell you and encourage you, church, that sometimes even when these promises of God don't seem to matter to us in these difficult moments, they still matter to God. And these promises still sustain us despite the fact that we may not want to hear it. Even when we are sorrowful and we don't want to hear that things are going to get better, we just want to sit in grief and guilt and pain, that doesn't negate the promises of God. They are still working for our good. Even in the lowest of life's valleys, like when Peter denied ever knowing Jesus, he was saved. And we are saved, not by our actions, but by our heart. The thing that only God sees, and only He can understand. For when we cannot explain our own actions, when we cannot begin to make sense of our faults and failings, when we come to terms with, with them even, we must rest in the promise of Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. Now, on a day when we are feeling low, we might feel like that passage is speaking condemnation to us. But rather, we should be encouraged by that passage that even when we do not know and understand our motives, our intentions, our actions, that God still does. God does not look at that one bad thing that we did wrong and He does not let it define us as we like to try to let it define us. He does not look at that one moment of indiscretion and mark us forever. He looks at the whole of our life. And it's because of this. It's because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So God, great is Your faithfulness. Every morning you can wake up and I can wake up despite the hardships and the difficulties that we've been through, both poured upon us and that we have poured upon ourselves, we can wake up every morning and know that God has given us another chance to get beyond this place. That He is giving us another chance to move beyond because He sees our future even when we cannot. Even when all we can see is the problem, God sees a solution. He sustains us. He does not allow us to be consumed because He sees potential. We may feel like we are without hope in those moments, but 
that God has made it so that even these momentary troubles and trials don't have to define our entire life up to this point. Again, God chooses to look at the whole and not just the part. And to God, when He looks at the whole, He's not just looking at the past and the present. When He looks at the whole, when Jesus sees us, He sees the future. He has seen what is still yet to be, even when we are just trying to barely grasp onto the fact that there is hope beyond this place. And Peter himself stands to testify that Jesus sees beyond just our moments of indiscretion. For following Jesus' resurrection, the disciples had most all returned to their former occupation before knowing Jesus, and, and that was fishing. The one thing they, they, in their minds, knew that they knew how to do. Several days after the resurrection, while they were fishing, Jesus appeared to them, and He made breakfast for them with one intention in mind. You ever invited, been invited over to somebody's house, and they made you a dinner? made you lunch or something, and you knew there's got to be more to this than them just being nice. I'm just glad Jesus' motives are always pure when he invites us over to his table to eat, much like this communion we've taken part in this morning. When we eat with Jesus, he has a, he has a pure intention in mind, and, and, for G, and for Peter, he certainly had a wonderful intention for him, and that was to erase the guilt of his failure. Now I want you to look at your bulletin, if you don't mind, and uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles to John chapter 21, we're going to look at, at what happened on that beach. It's also on the screen for you. Brother William, if you will follow along with me, please. Chapter 21 of the book of John, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. This is a foreshadowing of his death by, as the uh, ancient church fathers say, by crucifixion, that he was led to that place like Jesus. Verse 19, so Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with. Then he said to him, follow me. I hope you saw through that passage that despite one moment of fault, Jesus knew that Peter still loved him. 
even Peter recognized that Jesus had the ability to see the heart. And he said, you know that I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. It was in that moment that Jesus could see beyond just the hurt and the pain. That he did not allow Peter's failure to keep him from living life. And not just living a life free from guilt, but Peter's life was intensified as Christ called him to serve him until the day of his death, that he would feed his lambs, that he would care for his sheep, those young and old. He would fit the gamut of people that he would work and serve until the day that he died, and the day he died was for God's glory, that all the rest of his life would be spent serving God despite one moment of failure. That if you're going to fail, that's the way to do it. You know, if you're going to sin, sin big. And that was surely it for him. I'm not advocating we do that, but, but that in his mind, how much worse in our minds do we think we could get? And even he could be forgiven, restored, reaffirmed three times by Jesus Christ. Reestablished not just in his faith, but also in his love for Jesus and established for greater service from that day forward. That day, Peter learned what it meant to have hope beyond failure. He learned that God's grace and mercy wasn't just for everyone else, but that day he learned that it was for him. We read the promises of God at times, I find. And we go through hardships and struggles. We can quote these verses for everyone else, but do we believe them ourselves? When will it become real for us? Because that's the day that it became real for Peter. Most importantly, I think that, that Peter learned that God's future for him and for us is not halted in moments when we fail and we believe that it's all over. But it's in those moments that, that Jesus oper- offers us opportunities of reaffirmation of our call and commitment and love to Christ. It's in those moments that we receive God's grace in such a powerful and mighty way despite our failures that we are re-energized for His ministry, His service, and His calling on our life. You see, church, the man who wrote 1 Peter could see hope for the suffering that the Christians were going through because at one time, hope was required for him. He understood what it meant to be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Not for just a moment, not for just a period of time, but He will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus, the day that He has revealed to us, whether in the air when He calls the church or the day that He calls us home to be with Him. Regardless, Peter personally realized that Christ was carrying him. Christ saw his potential when Peter felt he had none. He gave him hope. 
to see him through his life. Though difficult that life would be until the very end. I need to encourage you today, folks, that if Peter could experience that kind of hope, despite what he had done, despite the way he had failed, well, you and I can too. Would you pray with me? Father, I just come to you now asking for your, your grace and mercy to fall upon us, and not just, Lord, for the things that we've done that speak out against you and your ways, the failures of our life. We don't just ask for grace and mercy for that. I also ask, Lord, for, for grace and mercy for the fact that we haven't come to you sooner with our needs and with our troubles. Lord, you are ready and willing to receive whosoever will come. I pray today that there's a whosoever here, that they will come. That despite what we may feel as our faults and failings, that those things will not hold us back any longer. That they will not cause us to weep bitter tears any longer. That these things will not define the rest of our life because, Lord, you don't see us like that. In us, you see potential. You see not what is, you see what can be. Lord, what will be if we come to you? I pray, Lord, that you will just encourage us by the power of your Spirit and in your love to turn these things over to you, to not be hindered anymore, but Lord, to be set free by the blood of your Son that covers all of our sins, our shortcomings, our failings. Lord, we come to you knowing that you can and you will do this for anyone who asks. And I ask that you would so move us, Lord, if that is us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I like what um, Charles Swindoll said about hope in his great book called Hope Again. He said, hope is a wonderful gift from God, a source of strength and courage in the face of life's hardest trials. When we are trapped in a tunnel of misery, hope points to the light at the end. When we are overworked and exhausted, hope gives us fresh energy. When we are discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we are tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way and confusion blurs the destination, hope dulls the edge of, of panic. When we struggle with a crippling disease or lingering illness, hope helps us persevere beyond the pain. When we fear the worst, hope brings reminders that God is still in control. When we must endure the consequences of bad decisions, hope fuels our recovery. When we find ourselves unemployed, hope tells us that we still have a future. When we are forced to sit back and wait, hope gives us the patience to trust. When we feel rejected and abandoned, hope reminds us that we're not alone, that we will make it. When we say that we're making our final farewell to someone that we love, hope in the life beyond 
gets us through our grief. Put simply, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. Hope isn't merely a nice option that helps us temporarily clear a hurdle. It's essential to our survival. Do you lack hope today? Do you need hope for the XYZs of your life? Whatever it might be is is God's hope there in your life. If it's not, I pray that you will ask God to give it to you. That He will start to show you today just exactly what it means for Him to give you hope beyond the harshest trial that you face. If you do not have hope in heaven, I pray that you'll begin there. If you do not have hope found in Jesus Christ because you have not given your heart and life to Him, I pray that you will do that today. That you will not wait, but that you will call on His name today. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Commit yourself to baptism so that you might be cleansed of your sins and walk in newness of life. If you do not have that hope, I pray that you will come today. If you do not have hope beyond this place that you're in, hope beyond your trial, hope beyond your pain, hope beyond your illness, I pray that you will come. And if you know somebody who doesn't have hope, it seems in their life, that they're struggling to find it, that they are totally without it, it seems, I pray that you will bring their name so that they can begin to find hope in the midst of their troubles and struggles. Whatever the need may be, Wherever hope needs to be found in your life, I pray that you will take the example of the Apostle Peter and accept it when Jesus gives it to you. And today, He wants to give it to you now if you'll accept it. And that is totally up to you. The Bible tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. Church, are you going to ask today? Are you going to join the Apostle James and say, we need to ask. We need to ask. Offer that invitation to whosoever will come. Not accept my invitation, but accept Jesus' invitation already extended out as we stand and we sing.